our great honor to introduce Detroit's own Cast Tech Drumline. I'm Kerry Jr. II from the Detroit Free Press, and on Wednesday, I attended the grand opening of General Motors' Factory Zero plant in Poletown. The factory was formerly the company's Detroit Hamtramck facility, but was recently retooled to be an electric vehicle factory. Welcome to Factory Zero. And there was a special guest to mark the occasion. The President of the United States, Joe Biden. Hello, Detroit! He stopped by in part to celebrate signing his bipartisan infrastructure bill into law. Because of this law, next year, for the first time in 20 years, <clears throat> we're going to put IBW members and other union members to work installing a national network of charging stations along our roads and highways in our communities, over 500,000. It's been quite the journey getting the bill to this point, through the House and Senate, and it had been tried by presidents before. The $1.2 trillion bill is expected to have a big impact on our roads, transportation, and water systems. And Michigan, like other states, is long overdue for an upgrade. You've got, you know, more than a thousand deficient bridges in the state. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a really bad situation. Today, we're going to discuss how this bill came into law, the roadblocks it hit, and what that money is actually going to do. This is On The Line. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Todd Spangler. I'm the Washington correspondent for the Detroit Free Press. Awesome, Todd. Uh, so let's just <laughs> let's just start at the beginning here, or at least as far back as as we can with this one. Like, where does where does America's journey to an infrastructure bill begin? It has been decades since we've seen a really big infrastructure bill. Uh, there was one passed in back in 2015 the FAST Act under President Obama, but even it had some limitations. And since then, there's been a constant question about when are we gonna pass another infrastructure bill because across the nation, and then particularly in places like Michigan, you're seeing roads and bridges just fall apart faster and faster every year. And there hasn't been enough money to take care of them. And how outdated is our infrastructure? Oh, it's, it's terrible. Now, it's worse in some places than others because states also raise money through their gas taxes or their use taxes. There are rich states. There are poor states. There are states that want to spend more. There are states that don't want to spend more. And in Michigan, it's been pretty bad. I mean, certainly Michigan is considered within the top 10 of the worst states in the country in terms of its roads and its bridges. And that's bad. Um, and they've been trying to get extra money to fix it for some time. But the state's legislature has not been too quick to give more money because it means raising taxes and nobody wants to raise taxes. What has stalled past presidents from from being able to achieve an infrastructure bill of this size? I mean, the, the, the short answer is nobody wants to raise taxes. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's really the, the, the short answer is, is that for the last two decades, three decades, Raising taxes on the general population, it guarantees you're going to lose votes. Now, that being said, there have been times when, for instance, Democrats have been in charge in Congress when they have been willing to raise taxes or look for other means of funding that would 
allow a big infrastructure bill to happen. I've asked Republicans and Democrats in Congress to come together and deliver the biggest and boldest infrastructure plan in the last half century. This happened a few years back when President Trump, who campaigned on the idea of a million, a trillion dollar, excuse me, infrastructure bill, finally was going to be able to get it through. The plan generates an unprecedented $1.5 trillion investment in American infrastructure. We probably have to wait till after the election. It didn't get passed in the first two years of President Trump's term because Republicans in the Senate did not want to be in a position of raising any money for it. They just didn't see where the money was going to come from to do it. And even though he wanted it, they were way more interested in, one, getting rid of Obamacare, which they didn't do, and two, lowering taxes on corporations and, and some other folks, uh, a large tax cut bill. They did get that. Mm. And then in the second half of his administration, he had to negotiate with Democrats. Talk a little bit more about what those conversations were like. How did they meet and what ultimately led to it being a stalemate? Sure. It became pretty clear after the 2018 elections that they were interested in doing an infrastructure bill. Their thought at the time was, the president has said he wants to do this. This should be a bipartisan issue. We will find the money to do this. Let's go ahead and do it. When he would talk to the speaker and Leader Schumer. That's Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Leader Chuck Schumer. He would find some reason over and over again not to do it. And that culminated in this visit where he called them up to the White House, sat down. We waited and we waited. That's Democratic Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois. And then the door opened and the president walked in. He walks into the room basically and says, We're not going to have this meeting. We're not going to have this meeting because Congress continues to investigate me. They were investigating him on an impeachment charge involving the Ukrainian government investigating Biden, for which he did get impeached, though he was acquitted by the Senate. I think we've had enough investigations. And until the investigations end, there will be no infrastructure bill. After that, basically, Pelosi particularly came back and said, if the president doesn't want to do infrastructure, then we won't do infrastructure. We'll wait till there's somebody else who's president. Trump no longer is in office. Uh, right. We know we have an election in 2020. Joe Biden is elected. And this is something that he also wants to address and he brings to the table pretty early. Yeah, I mean, What's I mean President Biden's initial infrastructure mm -hmm. plan, if you want to call it infrastructure, was this enormous sweeping piece of legislation that not only dealt with all the usual infrastructure stuff, it was a social infrastructure plan as well. It dealt with, you know, uh, uh, 12 weeks of, of medical leave. It, it paid for, you know, child care uh, vouchers for people and increased housing and tons of money for climate, you know, to fight climate change. And it was this enormously big, uh, you know, three trillion plus you know, Bill, it became clear that this was going to have to be split up into a more traditional infrastructure bill on the one hand, and then the social stuff on the other side. And the social stuff has morphed into what everybody in Washington refers to as the Build Back Better plan. That has not been passed. We had a uh, really good meeting. And answer your direct question, we have a deal. And, uh, in this case, you ended up with a group of senators, Republican senators, 
Susan Collins of Maine, um, Rob Portman of Ohio, extraordinarily important to this process, Mitt Romney of Utah, a Michigander, by the way. Some would say more moderate Republican senators who early on in the Biden term said, this is ridiculous. Uh, I, for one, think this bill is a good bill on balance. It's ridiculous. Infrastructure has always been a bipartisan issue. We should figure out a way to pass an infrastructure bill. It'll be good for my state. I think it'll be good for every state. We'll get an upgrade, a badly needed upgrade in the infrastructure of this country. In the end, in the Senate, they get 19 Republicans to vote with 50 Democratic senators. On this vote, the yeas are 69, the nays are 30. The bill as amended is passed. Which is a huge bipartisan success for Biden and for the Senate. There's just no two ways around it. This is truly a night to celebrate. Senator Collins. To celebrate not only a long overdue, much needed investment in our infrastructure, an investment that administration after administration has called for, but that has not been delivered to the American people. What the House of Representatives made of the bill, Biden in Detroit, and what it all means for us after the break. All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. You ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're back talking to Free Press's Washington correspondent, Todd Spangler, about what happened after President Joe Biden's infrastructure bill made it through the Senate. What happened with the bill when it hit the House floor? So when it went, when this infrastructure bill went over from the, from the Senate to the House, the House said, well, OK, we know we can't change this bill. We're going to have to end up voting for this bill as is for it to pass because the Senate's not going to change it again. Funding from the Infrastructure Act will make our communities safer and our infrastructure more resilient to the impact of climate change. This is Democratic Representative from Pennsylvania, Mary Gay Scanlon. But fixing our nation's physical infrastructure can only take us so far. There are several members of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party who wanted to have all kinds of stuff. And so does, and so does Pelosi. And frankly, you know, Biden says, I want it to be as big and as bold as, as it possibly can be. Without addressing the failings of our human infrastructure, a majority of Americans, particularly women and people of color, will continue to be held back. So they're all saying, we want this big social spending plan. The Build Back Better Act will lower the costs of things that keep families up at night. The problem is, 
Carrie, this is where this gets a little bit you know, procedural. Mm. 60 votes were needed for the infrastructure bill in the Senate, okay? Because they did that as sort of a standard bill process. This social spending plan is being done under something called budget reconciliation. You can do that with 51 vote majority in the Senate and not need the 60. As these conversations start happening about this social spending plan, on the one side, you've got moderates in the House and in the Senate saying, we're not agreeing with that size of this huge plan that's got free community college, got all this stuff in it. It's never going to get past the Senate. West Virginia's Joe Manchin, which is a state that, you know, Trump won over Biden enormously and who is a moderate and who doesn't like big spending bills. You know, throughout the last three months, I've been straightforward about my concerns that I will not support a reconciliation package that expands social programs and irresponsibly adds to our $29 trillion in national debt that no one seems to really care about or even talk about. He's worried about the size of these bills. But you got progressives like Rashida Tlaib and others who are saying, no, 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 this is our one chance to really make a difference with these with this 51 vote margin. We want everything in there. So how does this play out if Democrats are split internally over this bill? Speaker Pelosi keeps saying there's going to be a vote this day. That day comes up. They postpone the vote. That happens a couple of times, you know. And then in the first Tuesday of November. Thank you. Wow. You have Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, win the Virginia governor's race. There hasn't been a, a Republican to win statewide office in Virginia for the last decade. Alrighty, Virginia, we won this thing! And everybody in Washington, every Democrat, every Republican, head comes out of the hole and says, huh? And the Democrats are apoplectic. They see the writing on the wall. Next year, it's a midterm. The party in power always loses seats anyway in a midterm. It's going to be a bloodbath if we don't get something done. And the progressives are still saying, no, we're not going to go for it. If you bring that bill up, we're going to vote it down. And then on Friday, November 5th, you end up with this situation where some House leaders, and particularly the Congressional Black Caucus, and a very pragmatic group of legislators, says, enough is enough. Can't you see that we've got something we can get versus something that the Senate's going to change anyway past this bill? And so they came up with some last-minute sort of thing saying, we're going to put infrastructure on the floor tonight at 11 o'clock at night on Friday. The people in this town basically say, don't, never doubt Pelosi can find votes if she needs them. On this vote, the yeas are 221. The nays are 213. The resolution is adopted. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Bravo. What, what does this bill mean for Biden's administration? Biden and the Biden administration are going to be able to take this, this trillion-dollar infrastructure plan on the road, and they're doing it now. They're going to do it, you know, this week in Detroit about 
we're going to put this much in highway funds and we're going to do this much in new bridges and we're going to do this much in in passenger rail and clean buses and, and, and all sorts of things that will end up improving the infrastructure in this country at a time when it's lousy. Well, at least lousy for a lot of Michiganders. And I tell you, people from Gogibbet County on the western end of the UP to Groziel and everywhere in between, you know what they tell me? Fix the damn roads. And so... If you are Gretchen Whitmer and you're going to run for re-election next year, this is a godsend. You're at least going to be able to go on the on the on the campaign trail and say there's money coming, and a Democrat did it for you. And so, on the topic of, of Gretchen Whitmer and saying that this is this is a godsend coming to Michigan, what what money is coming to Michigan? What is it for? And and what's the timeline on this? Sure. Well, so the timeline for all this money is about over five years. Um, in in terms of Michigan. Michigan's, you know, funding, it should see upwards of $10 billion over five years. But ultimately, about $7.2 billion in highway funds total, about $560 million in bridge replacement and rehab money, be about a billion dollar in public transit money um, total of uh, transit funds is $200 million a year. Really the stuff that's going to play out for Michigan, probably in a big way. Are, are, are investments like $7.5 billion for electric vehicle charging stations across the country. What, what are some of the specific things people in Michigan will see? Well, I mean, and that's, that is a, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think what they will be able to see is, you know, more asphalt being poured. I think they will see more roads being fixed. I think you'll see bridges being replaced. You're going to see lead pipes being replaced across the state and across the country in a far different way than you have been up till now. Can you explain how the federal dollars go from, you know, national government to our personal streets and pipes? Yeah, it, it's it's complicated. If you're talking about, for instance, road and bridge money, mm. which is obviously a big portion of this, that money will go to the state. The state has a complicated formula. It's called Act 51. It goes back decades for doling that money out to uh, both the state trunk lines and the county roads, because there are county road commissions all over the state that oversee the vast majority of roads in in Michigan. Um, Cities get some of that themselves. Part of the way this happens as well is that if there's going to be competitive projects or if um, there's, their businesses are going to sort of apply for this money either directly to a federal uh, agency in some cases or through the state because the state will get money for, say, broadband that will then be, you know, matched up with a project for, you know, for, yeah. for, for getting that out the door. So it's really not, a, not one simple answer for that. There'll be a bunch of ways to do it. And it will require, you know, matching funds in some cases of different percentages, you know, from the state or from local governments in order to leverage this money. Hmm. That said, if this money is coming to them, it means they can use other money for something else. Ultimately, this is giving the state and giving communities and giving counties a chance at a much bigger pot of money and a much more consistent um, 
pot of money. There are processes that are already in place when it comes to the state. They know then how to distribute to the county and city and so on and so forth. Yeah, they absolutely. The county road commissions, for instance, will have a list of projects that they want to get done for the roads they, they maintain. So what about our neighbors in the Great Lakes state? So I would imagine infrastructure improvements in other states because of our shared resources with the Great Lakes could have an impact for all of us. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, without question. And and because of the weather and because of, of, of how government in the Great Lakes states operates in some cases, there's a good bit of money here for, um, for improving uh, – Water infrastructure in general, in terms of water pipes, in terms of sewage pipes, in terms of you know stormwater um, uh, capacity, and of course that's been a big thing in Detroit. There's like a um, um, billion dollars in here for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, and it it pays for environmental projects and 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 things like that around the Great Lakes. It's usually funded from two hundred to three hundred million dollars a year, so. It's a big increase for the Great Lakes. How else is this bill going to impact us moving forward? So the House progressives did manage to tie passage of this bill, this infrastructure bill, somewhat to the Build Back Better plan. Hmm. That bill is going to get passed in the House. Whatever it looks like, it's going to get passed in the House. Then it's going to go to the Senate and it's going to change. It's going to get smaller. It's probably going to include even more items to sell electric vehicles, for instance, for incentives to sell those. It's going to include lots of housing money. It's you know vouchers and building low-income housing. But if that gets passed, along with this, Biden's going to be able to say he changed the face of government to a great degree. The problem is that if Republicans do take back Congress after next year's election, do they really want to let those taxes go up? Do they really want that to happen? The answer is no, because that's raising taxes on somebody, essentially. Interesting. Biden could have put in place certain things that will cost a lot more money down the road, have to be made up somewhere, mm-hmm. or you're running de- more deficit spending, but could be transformational for millions of people, of parents, and you know, for childcare and access to housing, and, you know, that's and the fact that this and that sort of move together, it could be a very, very big deal. Well, thank you, Todd, for taking the time. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the, the chance to do it. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Tad Davis and Peter Majerly. Jeanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thank you for listening, and if you like the show, please leave a rating and subscribe. It really makes a difference. All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs>